You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode number 16, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work for bleedinggreennation.com. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Here with me to break down the quarterback situations around the league and in the draft is QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, how you doing, brother? I'm doing better than, say, Charlie Cashley. Let's put it that way. I mean, we're going to get into that. We're going to get into that. But I mean, I'm having a little bit of a better week than him, although that's probably a pretty low bar. It is March 7th. <laughs> and for an historical reference today, I was going to go down the road and get into like battle fatigue and battle exhaustion. But then I realized that, look, as tiresome as the timeline can be at times, it's not like sitting in a trench and dealing with trench foot and lice and exhaustion and shell shock. So I, instead of going down that road, I will just point out that on this day in 1862, the Battle of Pea Ridge or the Battle of Elkhorn Tavern was fought, which was a major battle of the American Civil War near Lee Town, which is northeast of Fayetteville, Arkansas. And this, believe it or not, was one of just the few battles in the U.S. Civil War, which a Confederate army outnumbered its opponent. However, the Confederates did lose. The federal forces led by Brigadier General Samuel R. Curtis moved south from central Missouri, drove Confederate forces deep into northwestern Arkansas. The Confederate forces were led by Major General Earl Van Dorn, who decided to sort of split his army in half. And now in modern warfare, that might make some sense. But back in those days, splitting your yeah. army in half typically ended about as well as Charlie Cashley's week. You know, when I, when I think about the timeline and I think and I think about what kind of experiences that is for me, I'm often reminded of the Battle of Kinney. I almost that's, went there. <laughs> yeah, that's Hannibal's double envelopment. Yeah. That's that, they, where they just slaughtered the Romans after crossing the Alps and, and all that. Every, everyone knows that story. But the timeline beset on all sides by the takes and the idiots and bless them, they're doing their best. I mean, it is, isn't it exhausting? Yeah. Like that's it bad, really dude. is. That's why you're like almost done rewatching Game of Thrones in like three and a half weeks. <laughs> you're working through this so quickly. You're gonna need. It's gonna be like April first, and you're like, I need to rewatch it again. I've yeah. got 13 days to do it, and I'm gonna get it done. I could probably turn through the books right now too at the pace that I'm going. You'll finish the books again before George R.R. will finish another one. You could certainly say that. You know, and, and it's funny too because my God, man, like I just I, I don't want to be on the timeline all the time because. Like, especially right after the combine, we were like, man, post combine, Twitter is just terrible. All the, all the players that you never talked about that you've loved this entire time just ha- just so happened to test really, really well. Right. And Isn't now you're digging into their film. Crazy again. how like, that works. On. But it's then again, wild. though, pre free agency Twitter has asked you 
to hold its beer because <laughs> here we are now wondering if Odell is going to be a Brown by the end of the day, if Antonio Brown is going to be a Raider by the end of the day. Josh Rosen apparently is going to be a garbage man by the end of the day, and I can't take it anymore. Uh, we're we're going to get into Rosen and everything that's going on in free agency. Mark, quick news before we forget and get into quarterbacks and all of that. Uh, the details on Eagles guard Isaac Siamalu's deal are out. We're going to get into all of that on the next Kist and Solak show here in the next couple of days, but here's how Benjamin Solak described it in the Slack chat to me just now. Quote, we promise to keep you on the roster in 2020 if you make it so that we can have you very cheap as a starting guard the following two years, who we can then cut with no penalty if you suck. So that's how that's going there. Joe Banner on Twitter added, this is one of the worst contracts for a player I have ever seen. Absolutely awful. Great for the team. So yeah, team-friendly deal for the Eagles. Howie Roseman continues to GM out of his mind. Mark, first topic of the show. We're going to keep it Eagle-centric here, kind of, I guess. The reports are that Nick Foles is expected to sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars when free agency starts on March 13th. Foles wanted the chance to start, and there is no better competition friendlier than one with that of Blake Bortles. That, that's a touch of uh, hyperbole there, but you get the point. And it's not even going to be a competition from what we're hearing because Bortles, uh, from what the reports are saying, is likely to be cut. Jacksonville can free up $9.5 million in cap space if Bortles is designated as a post-June 1st release, spreading out that dead cap hit, which is $16.5 million between 2019 and 2020. Eagles fans will will know this situation very similar to the very Vinnie Curry situation, which they passed up on. But it all depends on what type of bullet that they want to eat, hollow point or split point. He could also be traded to like maybe think Washington. I have no idea what his trade value is, but I'd offer a UDFA pick. Those don't exist, but that sounds about right. Uh, back to Foles, though, Mark. Obviously, there's the flip connection at offensive coordinator. It shouldn't be too hard for them to adjust to his game, right? I mean, they know him. No, I mean, they know him. And so you can see a path where they think that they're going to be able to get the best out of him. The interesting thing with envisioning Nick Foles sort of go into Jacksonville, which, like as you said, that seems to be the expectation. And obviously, Blake Bortles, that experiment has crashed and burned. Like We, we all sort of knew it would. I mean, we saw that iceberg coming yeah. from a long way away. With Foles, though... It's, I'm curious to see how they're going to structure the offense around him because from everything I've been told, I was on with Matt Williamson on Locked On NFL Wednesday, and he was like, look, I'm being told they're going to move on from Nick For from Leonard Fournette. And so mm. with Fournette sort of out of the picture, that sort of lends to sort of what you saw with Nick Foles in Philadelphia. They're going to try to get a couple of different running backs. They're not going to try to lean heavily on a guy. It's not going to be three yards in a cloud of dust. They're going to try to spread around more. And so if you're Jacksonville, you're hoping you're getting – playoff run, Super Bowl win, Nick Foles, and not the low-variance guy that he can be at times. I mean, you look at some of his numbers, and you have get some great games for him where, for example, he goes out and wins Super Bowls and things like that. Didn't remember that. I'm glad you brought, I'm glad you brought I that mean, up. I mean, I know, I know the audience here. Looking at his career game log right now, and not like quarterback rating is sort of the best in, you know, indicator of how a guy's playing. You see some starts where he's got 60, sub 50 ratings as a passer. And yeah. so there are struggles too. And the thing to remember with Foles, the backup quarterback is the most popular person in town for say 16, 17, 18, 20 NFL cities, right? Right. When you come into town and you get the big payday and you get paid like a starter, the dynamic changes. And think about the locker room situation that Foles is going to be walking into. He's going to be walking into a locker room that has perhaps the premier quarterback evaluator 
in the league right now in Jalen Ramsey. I mean, we all know his comments right. and how he thinks about quarterbacks. And we read them at GQ. Once he retires, he's gunning for my job, and I get it. I, I heard he was your second hand on the inside the pylon draft guide last year. He was cross-second all your work. Look, I think I can be honest here and admit that he gross-wrote it for me. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, though, if he struggles out of the gate, if he has a game like he did against Atlanta to kick off the season last year, where he goes you know, 19 of 34 for no yeah. touchdowns and one pick for a quarterback rating of 50.7, you know, if he has a couple of games like those out of the gate, that locker room situation might be similar to what we saw with Bortles and how that defense was like, we're not getting any yeah. help from the offense, things go south. And so it's going to be interesting to see how that dynamic changes when Nick Foles is not backup quarterback behind Carson Wentz. You know, you're playing with house money because that's what you're doing as a backup quarterback. You play with house money. But when you're the starter, the money's different. It's interesting with Foles, too, because you think, you know, how could a locker room turn on him? Well, losing color is a lot of things. Like, Nick Foles is an inspirational dude and is a great person to yeah. have in that locker room. But if you're not winning and you look at the, the locker room that the Jaguars have is very different than the locker room that the Eagles have. And you saw how that all unraveled throughout the season last year when things started to go south for them. They weren't able to rebound. The Eagles were. Uh, there's a big difference there. So that uh, if yeah. he can't put it together and Jalen Ramsey starts putting things out there, that's interesting. Do you see Foles as – we don't know the money on this yet, how many years it's going to be or whatever the case may be. Is this a stopgap situation for Foles? I would imagine it would be more in that vein. I mean, I don't know in terms of the you know dollars to dollars, but I think obviously this is going to be a contract that is closer to last year's Case Keenum deal than right. last year's Kirk Cousins deal. I mean, I think we can be pretty clear on that. Yeah. And I think Jacksonville will be looking at this situation because with Foles, you're getting a quarterback that he's 30 right now. He'll be... He just turned 30, so he turned 30 in January. So you probably got maybe, you know, this should be the prime of his life, but you never know. So I'd be yeah. surprised if he gets sort of a long-term type deal. I'd right. imagine it would be like a three-year deal, maybe with a team option for a fourth. Hmm. Or maybe with a mutual option for fourth type of situation. That would make a lot of sense where they can pick something up. So where he could be a stopgap, but then they also have the optionality to extend him for longer and then kind of rework his deal as they go. Yeah. I mean, I think that makes more sense because, you know, if it pans out completely for them, then you're going to be glad that you've got at least some length to the deal. Because mm. if you sign like a one-year deal and he crushes <laughs> it this year, well, I mean, a lot of good that did, Tom Coughlin. Hope you get Tua. I mean, that's the situation you're in. And so I think there'll be a little, some years to it, but I don't think they're going to want to lock themselves in for any sort of extended period of time. They're going to want to have some flexibility. So if it goes the other way, they've got some opportunities to sort of move on and it won't kill them because look, you know, they're going to have a Blake Bortles sized anchor for at least a little bit here. So we know the short term situation for Nick Foles, not exactly sure yet how many years it's going to be or the long-term situation. Another quarterback with some long-term questions and some short-term ones apparently is Arizona Cardinal quarterback, Josh Rosen. And now it's being said, it is being rumored even more so. There is a ton more smoke and fire to these rumors that we laughed at, I mean, a few weeks ago. So <laughs> we look like dummies if the, if this comes off. But it looks like Kyler Murray, like there's a very good chance that he's going to go number one overall to Cliff Kingsbury and the Arizona Cardinals. If that's the case, then the Arizona Cardinals will be looking to deal Josh Rosen, which is insane to me, and you know everyone is is breaking down Josh Rosen's rookie season. Have fun with all that and the supporting cast and judging quarterbacks off the rookie season. But apparently the NFL is kind of along that same line too, because Peter King put out that he asked some people, and the trade value for Josh Rosen was rumored to be 
a third round pick. And I got to tell you, because you wrote this up for patspulpit.com, our friends at SB Nation, they're the Patriots site. Uh, the headline was trying to answer the Josh Rosen question for the Patriots. If it's a third round pick, wouldn't the Patriots just be all over this? If it's a third round pick for Josh Rosen, the other 31 teams need to be all over this. I don't right. care if you've got Sam Darnold, you've got to yeah. be all over this. Because let's look at Josh Rosen in terms of the contract. He's under contract through the 2021 season, and his basically his his numbers basically go from like three million in terms of a cap number to like five million. It's so cheap, you know, by year, and that's just a cap number. His guaranteed salary for this season is 1.27, <laughs> and then it's 2.07, 2.87 over the next three years. That's his guaranteed salary. Mark, we're talking about Drew Locke. And Daniel Jones as first-round quarterbacks. And you're telling and me this guy's worth a third with that contract? I I'm, even I'm- saw like a comparison where those numbers are basically the range of what you would pay the 32nd overall pick. He's got a very team-friendly deal. Wow. And let's now talk about Josh Rosen, the quarterback. And it is important to preface this by saying, look, this was my QB1 last year. So, of course, I'm going to sort of bang the table and die on the hill and all those cliches we throw out on the timeline. But I like this kid. I think from what we could study from him on the field, he was just about as clean as a gut in terms of a, a draft prospect at the quarterback position. Clean mechanics, scheme diverse, had it from a mental perspective. All the stuff that was a problem with him was the sort of off the field. Oh, he has interests away from football or he's opinionated or his head coach or his former head coach, Jim Moore, trying to go to bat for him saying that, oh, he's a millennial and you got to challenge him a little bit because he wants to know the, in, know the ins and outs of coverages and route designs. And I'm sitting here saying, is that a, how is that a bad thing? Right. Like, I, do you want your quarterback not to know that stuff? Like when yeah. God's green earth has that become a bad thing? And so for whatever reason, Josh Rosen becomes quarterback four in this last year's draft. He goes off to the board 10th to a team that we did the exercise a couple of weeks ago, and it was a trick question when I threw four names out there, asked you which ones were the fake receivers, and they were all real receivers because what is a Trent Sherfield? I don't know what that is, but apparently it's a wide receiver in the NFL who caught big passes from Josh Rosen. I don't believe you. I, hand to God it is the honest <laughs> truth, okay? That's sort of the context of the situation. Then you get to what he did on the field. I think there is, and I wrote about this a little bit, there's some recency bias at play here because he, in his first start against Seattle, looked great. Yeah, the completion right. presented wasn't fantastic, but he saw you know, the anticipation, the manipulation, the good stuff that we liked about him. He had a game against Green Bay in week 13 at Lambeau Field where he converted a number of third and long situations, showing you process and speed. They're spinning safeties and stuff with the snap, and he's reading it perfectly. They had a third and 23 backed up in their own five-yard line with four minutes to go in a tie game, and he made a scramble drill play to hit Larry Fitzgerald to move the change. They go down, they kick what would have been the game winning field goal, and it ended up being the game winning field goal. So he goes into Lambeau and beats Aaron Rodgers on the road in sort of snowy conditions in a game where, at that point, the Packers were struggling. They needed a win to save their playoff lives, they lose, and Mike McCarthy gets fired after that game. Hmm. Those happen week three and week 13. But then the past couple of games after that, he struggles and he gets pulled. And so there's this impression that people are left with of him, which, oh, he struggled mightily. It's, well, maybe he had some bad games down the stretch, but you look at some of the other stuff he did, it wasn't as bad as people are making it out to be. And then let's remember this. In terms of the rookie quarterbacks and who they faced defensively, he faced – and Warren Sharp tweeted this out, so I'm stealing his work. Credited to him, of course. But 
They faced most top 15 defenses out of any of the rookie quarterbacks and the least bottom 15 defenses out of any of the rookie quarterbacks. And so he was in a bad situation to begin with because of the talent around him or lack thereof. He was playing a tougher schedule than the other rookies were playing. And oh, by the way, during that stretch down the end when he was getting pulled from games, they were starting five backups along the offensive line in front of him. That's the season that Josh Rosen had. Now, if you're Arizona and you're Cliff and you think that, okay, well, he's great, he's nice, whatever, I made my pitch to get this job on how it was going to fix Josh Rosen, but now Kyler Murray has hit our measurables threshold, then he fits our offense better, fine. But if you're just going to get a third round back for him, just keep him. Just keep him. Because then if Kyler Murray doesn't work out, you've got a guy that started 13 or 12 games for you or so. So the Rosen thing is curious to me. But if the asking price really is just a third round pick, like I said, look, all 31 teams, they got to be in on it. Because let's talk about for a second the hit rate on third round picks. And Arrowhead Pride did this study a couple of years ago where they looked at the hit rate and they tried to just determine who, like, what was a success, successful pick by position by round. And they defined a successful pick as somebody that started more than half of their games in their career. So it's okay. a pretty low threshold. Yeah. The biggest hit rate on third round picks was at the offensive line position for 40% under their terms. For quarterbacks, it was 17 Josh Rosen has already hit that threshold because he started more than the half of his games in his career. And so you're guaranteed to get a guy that hits, at least in terms of that study, by giving up just a third round pick. And he comes basically cheaper than I am. Yeah. Come on. (laughs) Mark, I actually looked at that play while you were talking there. That third and 23, it's 17 to 17. There's four minutes left in the fourth quarter. The Packers got like like a quarters type look there. They're all playing off. Everybody spot drops underneath that. There's no one there. There's no one there initially. He scrambles to his right on the move to his right, finds Fitzgerald down the field, signals to him, go that way, and then puts it the only place on earth you can put that freaking thing. I'm putting that on the timeline to hype this show up. That's that's an incredible throw. What was one of the biggest knocks on him? It was, oh, he can't create outside Outside of structure. Even I wrote stuff like that because, yeah, it's not his strength. (laughs) But if you saw moments of him, like one of my favorite plays of his at UCLA, and I wrote about it, I mentioned it, I clipped it a bunch of different articles, basically because I just repeat myself from basically February through April. I mean, (laughs) all I do is recycle my own takes and let I die on those hills. But (laughs) there was a trick play where he like either pitched it or tossed it to somebody and then he drifts back to the left side and they throw back to him that he's looking to throw downfield. And I forget which team it's against, but one of the defenders sniffs it out and has a free shot at him. So while Rosen's waiting for this throw to come back to him, this guy's lining him up. He's like, once Rosen gets this ball, I'm going to tee off on him. And Rosen catches and just deftly steps around this guy that has a free shot at him and throws a strike on a dig route. Now, it got called back due to a penalty. It doesn't even go in the box score. But when you see the guy that's unathletic and can't make plays out of structure, make that kind of nimble move in the open field. And the reason why I left it was because it's an unfamiliar place for a quarterback. You're not used to sort of catching in the open field and stepping around somebody. That's new. So it's pure athleticism and muscle memory and quickness at that point. And he does it in the blink of an eye and then throws a strike. So yeah, the guy, like he's not a super athlete. But he's athletic enough. And that play to Fitzgerald where he's directing traffic and making that throw on the move, puts it in the only spot. And the Pat's Pope piece, I broke down three earlier third and long situations in that game that he converted where he's you know reading spun safeties or manipulating defenders or throwing an absolute rope on a band-aid post route. The kid is good. Uh-huh. And he's probably better than a handful of starting quarterbacks right now. 
And you can make the case, at least I would, that he's probably a better starting quarterback, I think, than Lamar Jackson. Now, Lamar can do some different things and be successful. Yeah. And I think when Lamar gets into the fold, you know, next year with a full, right. you know, offseason workout schedule and stuff like that, he's going to be better. But as far as right now, yeah. I think you can make a strong case for Rosen. And so the idea that he's going to be available, the idea that it might just be a third round pick, <laughs> it's crazy to me. I've got to think, you know, this is lion season. You know, maybe there is something here where the Cardinals are trying to drive up the price for him a bit. You know, maybe they still end up dealing him. But if I'm Washington, for example, and you're thinking, right, do we go all in on Nick Foles? Do we try to get ahead of the Denver Broncos at 10 to get? A Drew Locke? Do we sort of try to move up a little bit so we make sure we get Daniel Jones? Like if you're going to come down to pay a Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, and give up draft capital to go get one of those guys or have Josh Rosen fall into your lap, yeah, what are we even doing out here? Yeah, and this is a good lesson in not box score scouting and watching the film with Rosen because there's definitely something there for him. We'll see how we'll see how that whole situation unfolds. And part of that situation is going to be obviously the conversation surrounding Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray. We are going to get into the back and forth between his agent, his uh, new agent recently acquired in the last month, I believe, and the Charlie Casserly that we have mentioned a couple times on here. So we're going to get into that whole back and forth here on the QB Sco Show, episode 16 on Bleeding Green Nation. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on the QB Sco Show here on Bleeding Green Nation, brought to you by SB Nation. Look, we already teased it. Kyler Murray, his agent, and Charlie Casserly, former former GM, just getting into it. So th- this is what kind of sparked it. Casserly was on TV, and James Palmer at James Palmer TV tweeted this out. Uh, he said, Casserly is cooking on NFL Network, said the comments he heard about Kyler Murray were the worst he's ever heard at the Combine on a highly rated quarterback. He's been doing this a while. Said leadership, not good. Study habits, not good. Board work, below, not good. That is some scathing criticism. Now, Murray's agent, who he just hired in the last month, Eric Burkhart, has added his voice to the defense of Murray. Burkhart gave the following quotes on Wednesday afternoon to Pro Football Talk. And I'm going to I'm going to quote a lot of this because this this is fire. He says, my initial reaction was to laugh because I knew the old guard would have tried to come up with the usual pre-draft nonsense. But when I later watched this man say what he did, it was over the top and definitely felt personal. And that's when I got pissed off. First and foremost. Kyler is an exemplary person, and he goes on to say, you will not even find one former teammate or coach at any level in sport who's played with Kyler Murray, who has anything remotely negative to say about him, his leadership or his work ethic. Now, this is where it gets fun. This is where he turns the focus on to Casserly. 
what do I think about an agenda-driven analyst, in air quotes there, I'm assuming he did like the bunny ears, who's never even once talked to Kyler or any of his coaches or teammates? I think it's disgusting and embarrassing. Casterly should be ashamed of, ashamed of himself. Further, my business partners and I personally represent coaches and executives who sat in on eight of Kyler's 10 formal combine interviews. I spoke directly to each of them, as well as executives from the other two teams and many others who I don't represent but were present, and all of them were extremely positive about his entire interviews with each citing specific examples as to why. Now this was, it starts to turn up the heat a little bit right here. Quote, the bottom line here is that it calls into question the motives of a man to get on national television and cite anonymous sources on things such as leadership and study habits about somebody he's never met. Look, if you don't like Kyler's game, it's cool. If you don't like his size and want to talk about that, that's fine too. If you're into a Heath Schuler type of looking guy, then hype those guys and say why. But when you slander the character and work ethic of a young man who's worked his butt off his entire life and done everything right to put himself in his current situation, you better cite your sources and come with a better record than 18 and 46 as a GM of the Texans and whose own leadership and accountability has been questioned by his old bosses and colleagues, as well as the greatest coach on the planet, unquote. And I think right there, he's talking about Bill Belichick when he called Casually a meteorologist. So, Mark, yeah. what do you think about this exchange? I have never seen, okay? <laughs> and let me preface this by saying it, by putting it this way. I was a lawyer for 10 years. I've seen a lot of like arguments, okay, in court, in depositions. I've seen a lot in my day, okay? Hmm. I have never seen a verbal one-two combination of Heath <laughs> Schuler with the left hook and then the 18 and 46 with the right cross. I mean, come on. And then Belichick thinks you're a hack. Yeah. And then, oh, and by the way, you're still standing. Okay, let me hit you one more time with the the greatest coach of all time says that you're wrong more than a meteorologist, which by the way, is just tremendous language anyway. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Burkhart, he's got to defend his guy. And so I right. get it. And he did it. First of all, did Murray have some bad meetings? Maybe. Okay. Does it matter? Because at the same time that Cassidy is saying right. this stuff about Kyler Murray, he's also out there. He's one of the people at the forefront saying Josh Rosen is actively being shopped around by the Arizona Cardinals. Now, yeah. if Kyler Murray was that bad in all of these meetings, there was at least one he must have been pretty good in. Because the Arizona yep. Cardinals, if they're going to trade Rosen, they probably need a quarterback. And I don't think you're trading Josh Rosen to draft Daniel Jones first overall. Well, like to your point, if Murray knows that he's going number one, it's like the Deion Sanders things yep. where, the, where the, the he's in the room with the Giants and yep. he's like, where do you pick? And they're like, oh, we're at 10 or whatever. And he goes, you're not even going to get in now. Yep. <laughs> and I'm he just going to lunch. Off. See ya. <laughs> and, and we see this in, in pro days and team visits and official visits. Like I think it was Baker Mayfield last year when he took a, was supposed to take a visit with the Chargers and he just did it. He said, look, I don't have enough time right. to take this meeting and study and do the things I need to do, so I'm not going to go. Why waste anybody's time? Because he knew he was going to be picked by the Chargers. And so if you're Kyler Murray, you're in Indianapolis, so you're going to take these meetings anyway. If you know the Patriots are picking a 32 and you're going to sit down with Bill Belichick, I mean, yeah, maybe you go through the motions, but you might not be fully invested in it. And we've talked on this show about how these meetings can be important for some quarterbacks. With Murray, I think it's a little bit different. Because with Murray, you know the kind of offense you're going to be running. Right. You know, you know the kind of athlete that he is. You know the kind of th kinds of things that he can do. And like Burkhardt pointed out, look, you don't get to be, you know, the first person or so drafted in the top ten potentially in two different sports. Right. By being a lazy nonchalant or whatever you want to say. And so we know who Kyler Murray is. 
And if the only interview that mattered for him was Arizona's, seemingly he knocked that one out of the park. Right. The final thing to remember here is this. It is line season. People get used <laughs> during this process. And it's pretty likely that Charlie Cashley has been fed some things to say by teams that maybe want to get their hands on Murray. They want to see him fall down boards. Maybe you think, oh, if we spread some stuff about him, yep. maybe Cliff starts to re- second guess himself. Maybe Arizona starts to second guess what they're thinking, which is why Burkhart made it a point to say, look, we represent other people that were in those rooms. Mm. So no, that didn't happen. So he brought receipts. He brought a one-two combination followed with a you know excellent kicker at the end of it. As far as defending your guy, I think that was a masterclass. Yeah. I mean, just the follow-up because he could have stopped. He could have stopped at any point. It would have been like, ho-hum, no. no big deal. He's defending his guy. We get it. And then he just came in with the double stomp off the top rope and went after the neck of Casterly. And I applaud him for it, man. If yeah. he wants to come at your guy like that, go after him like that because his record definitely isn't the, the cleanest of them all. And these freaking rumors and, and whatnot, like it's just out of control. It is out of control. This, this entire process, and you know, we talked about the the Marcus Mariota red flag, red flag thing, the Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have a girlfriend type thing. Like the things that get magnified during the course of the next couple of weeks are going to be infuriating at times with some of the stuff we read about quarterbacks. And again, you know, we don't have to go too far down this road, but there's always some coded language here as well. Yeah. You know, because with Kyler Murray, oh, he doesn't do well in meetings. Well, I mean, come on. <laughs> if you watch him on film, that's the other thing that the combine is supposed to tell us. It's supposed to tell us either things that we saw on film or clarify some things that we saw on film or things that we didn't. And if you watch him, are there things he needs to get better at from a mental perspective? Yeah, I don't think he's a natural manipulator with his eyes. But I think he's a much better anticipation thrower, yeah. particularly over the middle of the field than he's getting credit for. He's a much better pocket passer than he's getting credit for. And a lot of that stems from the mental side of things. You see him running some concepts that I'm sure Cliff is going to bring to Arizona. And you see him working through those reads quickly, deciphered man versus zone and knowing where to go with the football, getting the ball on out of his hands on time, in rhythm with anticipation. Again, between the hash marks where a lot of other quarterbacks don't make anticipation throws, that's all mental stuff. Hmm. And so could he stand on a white? board and break down, you know, F fly to Z scat three choice ninja H or something like that, which is a Kyle Shanahan play. Right. Maybe not. He's not going to be running that offense. He's not going to be running that offense. So yeah. who cares? Could he break down, you know, Y cross? Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. That he could. So I think that's going to do it for the Kyler Murray chat. That's That was fun. I love that. Yeah. I, I love seeing a uh, media analyst just get taken to task. We'll see if Castle wants to respond to that. That should be interesting. Maybe we'll have a little war. Don't going get off the mat, Charlie. Don't get off the mat. Just, <laughs> Just stay down. Just stay down, man. <laughs> wave the flag. Uh, Mark, so that's it for today. Thank you for joining me. That's going to do it for the QB Sco Show. Up next here on Bleeding Green Nation, you're going to have your regular weekly BGN radio with John Stolness and Brandon Lee Gouton breaking down all this offseason stuff for the Eagles. After that, we have a Twitter mailbag open for the Kist and Solak Show. That's going to be number 83 of our episodes so check out at bgn underscore radio get those questions in we will be answering those that'll be released later on friday or a saturday morning sometime in there we'll talk about the cmalo contract and all of that remember to go to apple Podcasts, get in those five star reviews we're close to almost 800 total reviews get in those ratings reviews give us some love Help us screw with iTunes algorithm, get us to the top of the charts, get it exposed to more Eagles fans so you can discuss the show. That is going to do it for the QB Sco Show episode 16. Thank you for listening.
E-G-N.